Well, hey, I'm glad you guys are here today. And I just want to let you know, um, one of the things that we've got cooking that can help you grow deeper in your faith, I think it's always good for us to be here in our worship services, and we can study the Bible together and, 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 and go through a sermon time and all that. But we also have a Sunday school hour. Um, it's actually more like 50 minutes, but from 930 until 1020, every Sunday morning, we have Sunday school. And that's not just for the kids or for the little ones or for any particular group of people. We really are trying to make sure that we have Sunday school offerings for everybody. So coming up in the month of March, okay, February, we're going to kind of keep things rolling the way they've been. But in two weeks um, in March, provided that, um, that our upstairs space is fully inspected and ready to go and we have space for all these, we've got four options coming up for those of you who are adults, okay? We're going to have an exploring membership class. That's for some of you who might be newer to the church and you're thinking about what does it mean to be involved here. Maybe you're thinking about baptism or just want to get to know more about Waterway Church. So we have an exploring membership class that I'll be teaching, and we're going to talk about salvation, baptism, communion, and church membership, and what does all that stuff mean. Here in the sanctuary, we're going to have um, teaching on the Gospel of John, uh, the second part of that gospel, chapters 12 through 21. And so that'll be in a lot of the format that some of you adults are used to. We're going to have two other classes, March, April, and May. One will be uh, Characters of the Bible. Um, Lana Johnson will be teaching that. Each week we'll study a character of the Bible and how they fit into the larger story of God's work through history. And then there'll also be a class that's just for the ladies. It's called Who Am I, Lord?, taught by Donna Dautrick. And it's a class for women exploring issues of identity in Christ. And the locations for all of those will be posted in two weeks when you arrive at 9.30 because we're still figuring out which rooms are ready in our new construction bump out. But I wanted to let you adults know that we've got a lot of things going on. And I think that time from 9.30 till 10.20 can be really helpful for you when you find a class that kind of suits, um, suits your needs as far as what you need to be learning about right now. So that's just a little bit of a commercial before we, before we dive in here. Now, the last couple of weeks, I've been talking with you and we've been thinking together about what it means to live in this reality that we have right now, kind of in this two-kingdom space. This has been a big theme for Mennonites and Anabaptists over the years. It's a big theme, a big part of the guiding understanding of my own theology. And what does this mean? Well, this means that right now on this earth, Satan is still having a heyday, Right? Satan is still at work. Now, we know that 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on a cross, rose from the grave, and ascended into heaven. He offered salvation to all of us who will believe in him. And so we get to live with the hope of eternal salvation, and, and we get to be filled, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, who have claimed him as our Savior, we get to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit helps us through our lives now. But we also know that this earth is not yet as it's going to be when Christ returns and sets everything right. We can see that there is still evil around us, right? And so while we live for God, who is the ultimate king, there are all these kingdoms. There are governments, and there are cultures, and there are trends, and there are fashions, and there are all these other kingdoms that are also fighting for their place. And so we live in this place where we, we are citizens of God's kingdom, but also living on this fallen world. So we find ourselves as members of God's family often in conflict with the kingdoms that are here around us. We know that Satan is trying to oppose God and Satan often stirs up these lesser kingdoms to try to steal our allegiance from our Lord. But Satan is still lesser than God. Don't be fooled into thinking that Satan and God are some kind of equals. 
you know, two heavyweights stepping into the ring to see who's going to win. No, we know that God's going to win. Satan is a created being. He was just one of God's angels who decided to turn against the Lord. But Satan is still working hard in our days. Through his lies and his intrigue, he tries to undermine our kingdom of God awareness and allegiance. But he needs us to agree with him if we're going to be compromised. This is what I mean. As members of God's family, Satan only has authority in our life if we give it to him. He is powerful. He is an angel and he's cunning. And he makes a mess of the world around us, but he doesn't control us. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that the spirit of God, or I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 1.7 says, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. We are able to stand up against our enemy. This is why John and this is why Peter told us to do so. Stand up, right? Stand up. But much has been surrendered, stolen, and destroyed. And so now we find ourselves living in a world where a lot of people have acquiesced. A lot of people have given in. They, they buy Satan's lies that, that the only kind of joy you're going to find in life is what you grab for yourself. People buy Satan's lies that the only way that, that you can have any success is to go out and, and just push people out of the way. Grab it by power. Grab it by force. And so we see nations compete and clash. We see cultures compete and clash. We see people competing and clashing. Now, in this two-kingdom reality, sometimes kingdoms can coexist, and we can live in a couple of them at the same time. I am, I am a child of the king, the one true king in heaven, right? I am a Christian. I also live in America, so I am an American citizen. I am part of that kingdom, but I never get confused about which kingdom is primary. It's always God, right? I live in East Nottingham Township, and so there are some taxes that I have to pay because I live in that little kingdom. And the rules say that I pay those taxes. And so as long as those rules don't conflict with God, well, I pay those taxes. You know what I mean? We live in all these different kingdoms. But only one kingdom can be supreme. So the big question for us over these next couple weeks is, is which king will we recognize as supreme? Is God really our ultimate king? Or have we given some piece of our allegiance, some piece of our devotion, some piece of our passion to some kind of a lesser kingdom. We must be constantly aware of the rules and systems and frameworks being thrown at us. We must constantly keep God first. Jesus said in John 6.33, we studied it last week, to seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be thinking together about what it means to seek God in our families, what does it mean to seek God first in our marriages? What does it mean to seek God first as we parent our children and interact with all the children around us? We're going to think about what it means to be a kingdom person, to live in a church marked by forgiveness, reconciliation, and love. How do we do that? But today, I want to take some time to stop and, and talk about what it looks like to have a kingdom marriage. What does it look like to have a marriage that gives glory to God, that is in tune with the ways of the kingdom of heaven? Now, I know there are many of you in this room who are not married right now. I know that there are some of you who are single and you're thinking, I'm happy being single. I don't need a husband or a wife and I'm going to press on where I am. Wonderful. Wonderful. But I would ask for those of you to be single to be especially aware of the marriages around you. Maybe that person whose hand you shook when you walked in this morning, the people sitting in front of you or behind you or beside you. If you see married people, please be praying for them that they can put into action some of the things that God teaches in his scripture. Some of you are single 
and you are not content with that. Some of you are single, and I know this. Some of you are single, and you are, you are looking for a spouse. You are hoping that you can find that person who can, who can be your partner here on earth. And what I would suggest to you is that even though this lesson is about kingdom marriage, there is something here for you to learn because this will help you to figure out if that person that you've been attracted to or that you're curious about, if they have any place in your life at all. And if you're and if you're sitting if you're sitting if you're sitting here and here and you're, and you're dating or or you're with a person who someday be your spouse, take really good notes, because I think what we find in Ephesians five could help you to really say, wow, there is a future with this person, or I got to get rid of this guy right away, because not everybody is ready to be your partner in a marriage that brings glory and honor to God. Okay, okay. So what's it look like to have a kingdom marriage? Let me give you a really quick example. You've heard marriage statistics perhaps that say that, that half of all marriages end in divorce, right? Well, statistics are, are like prisoners. If you torture them long enough, they'll tell you whatever you want them to say. But I was talking to a pastor recently who was being trained as a facilitator for marriage encounter ministry. Some of you are familiar with Marriage Encounter or Engaged Encounter, a great Christian, Christian uh, organization that, that just works to strengthen marriages. This person who was being trained um, to be a facilitator said that Marriage Encounter claims that the divorce rate among Christians who pray out loud together is one in a thousand. You've seen statistics that say half of all marriages in America end in divorce. Marriage Encounter suggests that with couples who pray out loud together, marriage really succeeds 99.9% of the time. See, there are a lot of people who say they are Christians who are not really living any differently than the poor lost souls around them. But there is a way that things work, and most of the people in the world around us have no idea. They either don't know or they're not willing to live the way that God calls married people to live. And marriages fall apart. Of course, you don't follow the instructions. You are not going to have what you think you want to have. How many of you ever said, you know, I think I'm just going to try to bake a cake. I've never baked a cake before. And you know what? Those recipe books are for morons. I'm just going to make, how often does that work? Right? There's a way that things work. It's helpful for us to learn them. I really believe that we can be better. We can be better, Christians. You can be better. You can be better, <laughs> Bretter. Yeah, I got baking on my mind now. <laughs> you can be better, believers, if you will put into practice God's guidance. Even if we just live out some of the basics, remembering that love is patient and love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. Love doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. That's from 1 Corinthians 13. There's more there. But, but really, think about it. Which kingdom do you take your marriage advice from? The people around you in your life, where are they getting their marriage advice from? Is it any wonder that so many marriages fall apart? Where do people get their script? Today, let's look at a powerful instruction about how we can have kingdom marriages and how we can live in that one-tenth of one percent world instead of the 50-50 world. I'm in Ephesians chapter 5. I'd like to invite you to go there with me. If, if you've ever sat through pre-marriage counseling with me and Melanie, you've read this verse with us or this set of verses with us and you've talked about this with us. But congregation, I want to share this with all of you. Ephesians 5, and we're going to start in verse 21. The Apostle Paul, and this is a couple decades after Jesus Christ walked on the earth, and, and Paul was absolutely devoted to teaching churches and teaching Christians how to live for Jesus. 
And so in Ephesians 5, we, we are finding the fifth chapter of a book where Paul is instructing people who they are in Christ and what it means to follow the Lord and what God has done for us. And then he gets into some practical teaching. And, and Paul says in Ephesians 5.21 that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is an instruction for all Christians. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I'm going to say it one more time. Why don't you read it along with me? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Christians, do other Christians ever drive you crazy? Do they ever? Oh, you don't have to nod quite so, quite so big, Haley. But they do, don't they? Our brothers and our sisters, our aunts and uncles, moms and dads, the people who are sitting here along with us, don't they sometimes just, how are, what are they thinking? Why would they like that? What are they doing? Why would they say that? It's interesting. Here at the beginning of this, at the beginning of this chunk on marriage, the Apostle Paul reminds all of us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. What does this mean? Does this mean that I'm a doormat? No, no, no. No, in the scripture, we're told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and with all of our mind. This is in Matthew 22, 37. That's the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of love in there. Jesus says, here's the most important things you can keep in mind with all of your living. Love the Lord, love your neighbor, love yourself. This is not a selfish love. This doesn't put yourself forward, but it also doesn't make you a doormat. What does it mean to submit to one another? It means that I look out for you and you look out for me. And Kate, I may not agree with you. You and I may not think that those are the best songs this morning, but sometimes I listen to your songs and sometimes you listen to mine. You know, David might say, well, I, didn't, I don't like this passage. If you were going to preach about marriage, I really wish you to go into this place in Corinthians. And I could say, cool, David, maybe we'll come back to that. But today, this is my turn. And we live in this constant negotiation as Christians, don't we? What does Chad like? What about Thelma? And what about Elaine? Who are they? What do they need? And what do they think? And, and sometimes I need to put myself second. It doesn't matter right now what I think, what I like, or what I want. We submit to each other. We look out for each other. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay. Paul starts this passage, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, before I go into verse 22, there's been a lot of prelude and a lot of buildup. I get it. But before we dive into verses 22 through 33, let me give you a summary of what it's going to say, because we're going to read these. We're going to read about instructions to husbands and then to wives, wives and to husbands. But before we dig into either of them, I want you to understand the expectation is that they are both being worked out at the same time. Paul doesn't say, wives, it's more important that you do this, or husbands, it's more important that you do that. There's an assumption that husbands and wives are working at these things together, all under the umbrella of submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's not an if-then kind of a thing. It's not a, if Ross does what he's supposed to do, then I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. It's not, you know, if Jeanette acts right, then I'll act right. No, 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 no. That is not how this whole submission thing works. We submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And now Paul tells wives to submit to their husbands, and he tells husbands to love their wives. Both of these happen at the same time. What does this look like? Oh, dear Lord, give us grace to understand your word. Ephesians 5, 22. Here is Paul's instruction. Wives, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. 
Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Books and books and books have been written about this. We're going to skim the surface, I know that. But let's just look at what the scripture clearly tells us. Wives, submit to not all husbands, not anybody else's husband. We all know that we're supposed to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. But now particularly, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Why? The scripture tells us in Ephesians 5.23 that the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. This is different than when you were in second grade and said, He's bossy. I don't like him. I had, I had a friend. I had a friend who was looking back through his old journals from elementary school. And in his journal from third grade, it said, I'm not going to say the name. It said, she is bossy. I don't like her. And I just, when he told us this story, we were having a good time talking a few years ago. He told us this story. I just laughed and thought, yeah, I don't like bossy people either. I certainly don't want to live with one. I don't want to be joined to one. What this passage does not say is, wives, your husband is the boss of you. It doesn't say that. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. It's the same word there, that same submit, as all Christians are supposed to do for each other. Look out for him. Respect him. Consider his needs. It doesn't mean you don't love yourself. It doesn't mean you are lesser or that you have a decreased value compared to him. No. No. There's an instruction here that says, for marriage to go well, wives, submit yourselves to your own husband as to the Lord. Christ is the head of the church. The husband is to be the head of the marriage. This is how it works. If you do not like that, and I know you may not, because there are all kinds of situations that we come out of that make this difficult to hear. Let me suggest that before you call me, and you are welcome to call me. Let me suggest that before you call me, you wrestle with the scripture more, because I'm not trying to make this up. Okay? Those are the three verses that are written to wives. Those are the three verses that are written to wives. Let's read the eight verses that are written to husbands. Husbands, and I would challenge you here as you're reading this, especially if you are a husband, to underline in your Bible or highlight on your device every time the word love is used. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I'm going to pause right there. I know it's the middle of a sentence, and there's more to unpack. But let's just think for a moment, husbands, 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 you with me? We are called to give ourselves up for our wives, just as Christ gave himself up for the church. There have been men who have gone on power trips over the years as if they could only read three verses at a time. And they read, wives, submit to your husbands. And the husband said, woman. And then he filled in the rest of the sentence with all kinds of things that I'm not even going to entertain right now. That is not what any of this is about. 
Because again, these things, the, the conduct of wives and the conduct of husbands, these things must be happening in parallel, right? Wives, submit to your husbands. Husband, loves your wives. How much do I have to love my wife? So much that you are willing to die for her. That is what Christ did for the church. And this is the kind of love you're supposed to have for her. That kind of love is not demanding or demeaning or putting someone in a lesser kind of a state. That kind of love is not absolutely detail-oriented so that you don't make any decisions. I'm in charge here. No, that's just bossy. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. See, a lot of husbands want their wives to give herself up for him, not to have any thoughts or ideas or opinions or anything that contradicts with him. No, that's not what this is about. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And this is what Christ did. Look at verse 26. To make the church holy. This is what Jesus did for us. Cleansing her, that is the church, by the washing with water through the word. That's what Christ does for us. And to present her, that is the church, to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Christ loved us. People here in the room, people online, I hope you can hear me. Christ loved us so that we could be a perfect partner for him, so that we could, so that we could be erased from our stains and our wrinkles and our blemishes. We could be presented as a radiant group to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he did for us. Husbands, are you loving your wife in that way? Are you loving your wife sacrificially in such a way that, that she comes alive, that she is radiant? Husbands, if your wife is not radiant, it may not be your fault because she is a person and she has challenges and feelings and emotions and thoughts just like you do. But husbands, if your wife has never been radiant, look at yourself. Are you loving her this way? Perhaps you've been falling short as well. Paul goes on with the metaphor. He says, in this same way, verse 28, In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. You are partners now. And and you can hear this echoing from that whole Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, right? Husbands, love your wives as your own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. Have you been underlying? That's five loves so far. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. We're members of Christ's body. Verse 31, here, here Paul quotes Genesis. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. And then he goes back to this, talking about Jesus and the church. It's a profound mystery. But I'm talking about Christ and the church. We are unified together because of Christ's sacrificial love. And now Paul wraps up this whole thing with one more verse, number 33. Each of you, Each of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must hear the word respect is used, must respect her husband. Love your wife. Love is mentioned seven times in these verses. Love is a responsibility to feed and care for her. Love is lifted up as, as a responsibility for you to leave your family for her. Some of you husbands, you're having trouble with your wives because you're still too close to home. I know that business might make that convenient, but some of you husbands need to get more distance because you need to make it clear to your wife that she is your family now. You are not defined by your family of origin, but now you've got a new thing. That was a hard thing for me to kind of get into my head when we started out. 
But husbands, if you love your wife, you have a responsibility to feed and care for her, to leave your family for her, to give up even your life for her. Husbands, how are you doing? I know it is hard for a wife to hear that you need to submit to your husband, you need to respect him, you need to look out for him and honor him. I know, I know that's, that's got to be hard to hear. But husbands, let me tell you that it's also a hard thing to do to, to feed and care for and look out for the needs of your wife and your family, to leave your family of origin for her, to give up your life for her. This is what you're called to too. Both sides have it difficult. But I want to go back to what I said in the beginning of this passage. Love and submission must be walking in parallel. I have yet to meet a wife who struggled to respect a husband who really loved her. And I have yet to meet a husband who struggled to, to really love a woman who respected him well. We must be doing these things together, husbands and wives. Too many of us, I think, and we don't try to, but we see the world around us and we see the standards of the people that we live among. And we get into this negotiation, this back and forth, and we start to say, we don't try to, but we fall into this trap. And this is what Satan does, right? He is the father of lies. He loves to whisper ideas into our minds that we'll go along with, and then we're swept away. We fall into this whole thing of, well, if she would finally start respecting me, then I'd be able to love her. Or, or if he would finally start loving me the way I need to be loved, then, then I'll be willing to show some respect. But that's not how this works. No, Jesus, who is our perfect example, Jesus, for whose sake we submit to each other, Jesus came and died. He took the initiative so that people could turn to him and be saved. In Romans 5, 8, it says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, we did nothing to earn his sacrifice, and yet some of us husbands say, well, I'll start to love her once she, A, B, C, and D. And, and some, some of you wives are saying, well, I'll start to finally show him some respect when he, no, that's not how it works. We must lead. Some of you, some of you who want to be the leaders in your homes or your marriages are actually just waiting for the other person. If she does this, then I'll finally. And if he does this, then I'll finally. But husbands and wives, I believe that we're commanded to do these things unconditionally. I mean, as you look at Ephesians chapter five, do you see a thing that says, husbands love your wives if? Do you see wives submit to your husbands if? No, we see wives submit, husbands love your wives because of what Christ has already done for us. Submit even before love, love even before submission. Don't just wait and see, go. You wanna be a leader? Lead with your love and lead with your sacrifice and lead with your submission. But this is almost a foreign language in our world, isn't it? I mean, really. How many people do you live among who are showing that kind of love to their wives and that kind of respect to their husbands? How many good marriages do you know? No, what's the language of our world? Well, find somebody who makes you happy. Well, I'll tell you what, this love and respect thing can lead to a whole lot of happiness, but happiness is not the standard. That's just a side effect. Let's unpack this practically. Just a couple of things. Husbands and wives both often have their realms. I have a garage. Melanie has a kitchen. Not because I'm a man and she's a woman, but my tools are in the garage and Melanie's are in the kitchen. This is how it goes. Do I need to decide what goes in each drawer? No. She's smart enough and can figure that out, even though I do complain sometimes when I get lost. Husbands, being head of the home doesn't mean you micromanage every detail. 
Jesus is the head of the church, but he doesn't micromanage every detail, does he? He didn't tell us to paint the walls tan and have windows facing to the east and the south. Maybe if we had to listen better, we'd have, we'd have put them in a better spot so that the sun didn't always shine in. You know, I've often taken cues from Melanie in our parenting. Melanie's a first grade teacher. She's given... She's given her life to caring for kids and teaching kids since she was five. She babysat in the school years because she liked it. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> Got a degree in elementary education. She's on a children's ministry team here at church. I can give high fives and pray with the kids, and I can sometimes make them laugh, but that's about it. So as we've been living out our life together, here's how a kid conversation normally goes with us. I say something like, these three-year-olds are killing me. And then I say something like, I'm the pastor, or I'm the uncle, or I'm the dad. And they should listen to me and behave right away. Which usually means, why can't I get them to just sit still and be quiet right now? You know, as three-year-olds all want to do when guided properly and parented well. <laughs> and you know what Melanie says? She says, I know. And then she explains to me how three-year-olds are built how their mind works. She gives me solid advice on how to get through to them. And she reminds me that one of the problems might be that I'm expecting a three-year-old to act like an adult. I treat her with love. I listen. I ask. I recognize her God-given gifts. Am I the leader in the house? Yes, I am. Because that's how we live things out. But that doesn't mean that I'm the boss. And she treats me with respect. She helps. She doesn't roll her eyes. She doesn't treat me like some dad caught in the blinds which is every TV show you see on TV, right? Every comedy is a woman who has things together and some doofus that she's married to who can't figure out what to do with anything. That's not how our life works. We submit to each other. There are big disagreements sometimes. You've had these, haven't you? You married people. Any of you disagree with your spouse? Like even after praying, even after talking, even after listening and going through all the stuff that you're supposed to, do you ever disagree? Yeah, we do too. We talk and we pray and we talk. And when I have a deep conviction and she has a deep conviction and we can't find the middle ground and we have to make a decision, we've always gone my way. And I'll tell you, in 20 years, that's happened maybe two or three times. This isn't every day, it's not every week, it's not every year. Might be every decade. And frankly, I can't even remember what those issues are. I'm just, I'm telling you this. Ours is not a perfect marriage. I'm not lifting us up as a perfect example. What I'm telling you is we have a really good marriage. We've been married for 20 years and we figured a lot of things out. And what I'm telling you is what it means for me to be the head of the house is that I'm not in charge of, any, of everything. But we work together. And sometimes, just sometimes, there get to be those things that Boy, we just both feel really strongly, and this is a big decision, and we've got to make a decision, and there's a time limit on this. And what that means is that, as we've been instructed, she submits to me, and I love her. And that's how we live. And we're still here. We're still here. Husbands, are you living in such a way that your wife knows that you love her and would lay down your life for her? Wives, are you living in such a way that you give honor to your husband, even when he is wrong? Because everybody's going to be wrong. What does the scripture tell us? Isaiah tells us that we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. 
I know. Here's the objection that always comes up. Here's, here's the objection. But you don't understand my wife. <laughs> this week in our small group, we were looking at a couple of Proverbs. And one of the people in our small group was reading further down the page, and they ran across Proverbs 21.9, and they laughed about it. We said, what are you laughing about? They said, I'm reading the Proverbs. And Proverbs 21.9 says, it's better to live on the corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. That's in the Bible, right about in the middle. Is every wife lovable all the time? No. No. Ladies, you are lovely. But you don't always act lovable. Is every husband respectable all the time? No. No. Did Paul just not understand that when he was writing Ephesians 5? Did God just miss that when he inspired Paul to write? No, I think God knew all about that. God knew that, that no husband is always respectable and that, and that no wife is always lovable the way we use the word lovable. I think this is why God gave us this instruction that said, no, this is why you must Submit to your husband, and you must love your wife. Now, for just a little bit of a change in our morning, we are blessed this morning to have Leon and Naomi Zimmerman with us. Uh, Leon and Naomi work with Eastern Mennonite Missions. They got a portion of our mission giving back in January. And so, Leon and Naomi, I'm going to invite you guys to come forward right now. And they are working at some really fun stuff for EMM connected to sharing about godly marriages. And so this is really a, just a great time for them to be here with us. Guys, grab a seat, and I'll grab one with you. Don't mind the hymnal. See, what I should have done is recruited a couple of young, strong fellows to carry chairs for me, but I didn't think ahead very well. Not always respectable, you're fine. So Leon and Naomi, it's been our privilege to support you guys uh, and EMM for, for some time now. And Leon, I've enjoyed talking with you over the last couple of years, but especially in the last two or three months about some of the things that you're up to. Um, you've heard, uh, Leon and Naomi were teaching Sunday school this morning up in Lidditz, and so you've hustled down here. God must have graced you with good travel. So glad that you're here. Today I've been walking through Ephesians 5, and some of these, frankly, very difficult challenges about how husbands and wives relate to each other. You've been given an assignment by EMM to share around the world with people who, who may need some strengthening and encouragement in their marriages. What are you doing? What are you doing? First, let me say thank you for your support. We are supported by churches like Waterway, numbers of them and some numbers of individuals, and we are so grateful that we can be doing this. What are we doing? Yeah, what are you doing? Uh, about a year ago, you know this, Jesse, we were asked by EMM to focus greater attention on what they call the marriage initiative. So what that means for us is we're in contact with about 15 locations around the world, and we're talking to them about how can we help you to strengthen marriages in your context. 
So, so, so marriage challenges are not just a thing that seems to happen in one place or, or one location or among one group of people. Is that correct? That's correct. I okay. would say some of the main issues regarding marriage are around the world in a similar fashion, but each culture seems to have their own set of issues. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you about two locations. And I'm assuming you, many of you know Justin T. Hollinger. How mm-hmm. many of you know him? Oh, wow, quite a few. Uh, This would be one way, and every place that we're in contact with is different. Mm -hmm. Justin contacted me last summer. We sat at Dutch Way's restaurant, and we talked. And he was saying, hey, I need help. And among other things, I told him about what we're doing in marriage. And I said, Justin, you may want to consider using Alpha's marriage course. That's one of the tools we use. Justin went back to Honduras, and I didn't hear from him for months. And about three weeks ago, I wrote him an email and said, Justin, how's it going? And he writes back this short paragraph. This is what it said. Thank you so much for introducing me to this marriage course. Um, What's the man he works with quite a bit down there? Miguel, or anyhow, it's a Spanish name. Uh, He said he and his wife watched the marriage course twice, and they're organizing to do the marriage course here in our local area. In Honduras. In Honduras. And he said, oh, by the way, the youth pastor's getting married, and he discovered that Alpha has a pre-marriage course. He's found that. They're going through it, and they're saying every couple that gets married really should go through this pre-marriage course. So... All I did was suggest to Justin, you may want to consider this, and he took it, and he ran with it, and I'm so grateful. One other kind and, of... And, and by the way, one thing that we'll do is, um, church, on our, on our church newsletter site, um, either tomorrow or Tuesday, I'll make sure that we send you um, an email with a couple of links for some of the resources that Leon's going to talk about and some other resources. I know you can write down the Alpha course and all that, but we'll, we'll keep you connected with what some of these really helpful tools can be. Okay, yeah. And one other conversation. I've heard you use kingdom marriage. Hmm. Just a week and a half ago, we were talking, Naomi and I, with Yamiru, his wife, Zue, and his daughter, Maklit. They are in Ethiopia, Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. And we made this contact with them. They're another location that we're working with. And Yamiru said, when the missionaries came here years and years ago, they said, oh, your marriage, the way you do marriage, it's bad. They even used the word demonized. And unfortunate, I think that's very unfortunate. He said, we threw away the way we were doing marriage and we adopted another way. And he says, in the final analysis, it's the world's way. And now we want to learn about kingdom marriage. Mm -hmm. And his wife in particular was just glowing. She didn't understand English, so we were going through a translator. You are an answer to our prayers. We must get down to using God's principles in our marriages and build kingdom marriages. That's not only a challenge in Ethiopia, it's a challenge right here. Do you want to share about I think one of the other things, unfortunately, that we're running into, which we also have here in our country as well, is people are saying we don't have marriages. People are just hooking up or... Um, 
We have a lot of things that are taking place before marriage that are not good. So we're really also trying to develop some teaching on personhood. How do we respect and honor each other? How do we understand our, our femaleness, our maleness, our sexuality? And then how do we keep all of that in a good place until we're married? And, and it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, for, for some of us who grew up in the church, we may have um, some concepts of that or some things that we were taught when we were young, but th- that's not just prudishness, is it? I mean, God has a way and has a design for the way that people work, the way that relationships work, the way that sexuality can work. And, and so what I'm hearing you say is that speaking about those things around the world is a real need. It's not just here in our particular culture. Especially when you think of, of how women are, are viewed in a number of cultures, even in our American culture, um, just to give some uh, honor and respect to who we are as humans and to our sexuality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because, and what I've been emphasizing, I mean, how many times did we say it today, church? Ephesians 5.21, submit to one another. That's the whole body of Christ. Men and women, old, young, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And and that has to be kept over all of this because Christ loved all of us enough, not just the men, not just the women, not just the married people or the single people. Christ loved, loved us so much that he came and died for us even while we were still sinners. Well, and it affects all relationships, whether we're single, whether we're married. And so to understand that, even as we're teaching about children and parenting, it just affects all of our relationships. It really does. So we're headed to West Kenya in about five weeks. And Naomi and I are to teach a course together on marriage and parenting. It's going to be the first time we're doing an extended course together. So you can pray for us. It's been fun. <laughs> trying to understand how we're going to do this. Uh, But yeah, uh, we hope to be a kingdom marriage team in West Kenya and to teach well what what kingdom marriage is all about. So pray for us. Can we pray for you right now? Would that be all right? Lord, I'm thankful for... I'm thankful for your word that instructs us and your spirit that guides us. And Lord, I thank you that Leon and Naomi are answering the call to go where you've called them, to teach what you've called them to teach, and to build up marriages and and, and families and communities around the world. Lord, we pray for them as they prepare to go to Kenya in a few weeks. I pray that you would protect their own relationship. I pray that they would be filled with joy and love and passion and hope as a husband and wife as they prepare to go and do this work. And while they're there, Lord, I pray that you would protect them from the attacks that would, that would tempt them to be divided or, or frustrated or, or less than what they can be. Lord, I pray that your message would flow through both of their lips to the people who need to hear. I pray that all the issues of translation and logistics would just be washed away. And Lord, I pray that you would give them grace with those folks so that they're in that part of the world. Those marriages and relationships and those communities can be strengthened as people learn what it means to submit to each other and to submit to their husbands and love their wives. Lord, help them to do that. And Lord, help us to do that well here. Lord, help us to be people who who love well, 
who honor well. And Lord, I pray that you'll show us our way. If there are things that need to be corrected, Lord, please speak into our lives and help us to correct them. And Lord, if there are things that need to be celebrated, help us to celebrate well these gifts that you have given. Lord, we love you. Amen. Zimmermans, is there anything else we need to hear from you today? Thank you so much for sharing with us. As you find your seat, I'm going to invite the worship team to come back forward and... um,